Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 623 for the 23rd of December, 2018. This week, security threats continue to mature and become harder to spot. We'll listen as Cyber Reason's Chief Security Officer Sam Curry suggests what we'll see on the security horizon in 2019. In short circuits, the Windows 10 October update has been released again, this time without a propensity to occasionally delete files and folders. If you don't yet have version 1809, you can force the issue or just wait for Microsoft to deliver it. If you feel a certain sense of deja vu when considering the ways communication techniques are changing, perhaps you'll recall what was called ransom note publishing cropped up when inexperienced users gained access to design tools in the 1980s. In spare parts only on the website, this year's Darwin Awards, as they relate to passwords, have been released. The White House is no longer the top winner, but a visitor to the Oval Office did take the number one slot. And renting a car in China is difficult. Foreigners also need to hire a driver, and National Car Rental sees an opportunity there. never gets any easier. Those who deal with data security are constantly facing new challenges. That's one of the primary reasons I look forward to Cyber Reason's online conferences that are intended mainly for chief security officers at large corporations. Earlier this week, Cyber Reason's chief security officer Sam Curry took a look at 2019, and it's not pretty. Although these programs are directed at CSOs, chief security officers, the information should be of interest to anyone who uses a computer, a cell phone, or any device that uses or stores data. One of Curry's primary points was that those who manage security put too much blame on users. Users aren't going to change, Curry said. So if there's good news, it's that there is some predictability of cyber criminals. Those who are involved for monetary reasons or for quantifiable gains and losses we can predict what they'll do. And I want you to keep that in mind, especially cyber criminals, those who have to think about you know, husbanding and investing wisely their resources and um, what returns they get for them. And the second group is those that are willing to, uh, for a purpose or for an agenda, make disproportional or even illogical investments in order to open up almost new scientific research. Um, this is in particular true of nation states with deep pockets. So keep those in mind as we look at some of the educated guesses. The more worrisome attackers are the ones who are state-sponsored and those who have no desire for monetary gain. They are less predictable. And yet Curry believes we are unlikely to see cyber weapons of mass destruction or the equivalent of a Pearl Harbor attack. We all play the what-if game. And uh, a lot of very terrible things can be done through cyber. I live in a part of Massachusetts where recently nothing to do with cyber houses started to blow up because of, of real physical kinetic world problems with the natural gas supply. That does tend to tell people what's possible. Almost every threat I've ever heard of 
I worry about, and, I, and I'm a cyber person, but I don't worry about to the same degree as if a nuclear bomb went off in my town. Yes, people can die. Yes, it can have huge effect, but we tend to rally to those things. If there is a cyber Pearl Harbor, which is a phrase that was also carried about by FUD people, we tend to rally, we tend to do what's needed in order to fight back. My biggest fear is the smaller things that, that, that can get by and that erode society and erode the economy and erode trust in the internet. And over time, those continue to grow. So I'm less worried about cyber weapons of mass destruction than I am about destroying and eroding the future of what can come in a connected world because of an ever rising tide of cyber threats. I'm sure somebody will take issue with this because that we can all play the imagination game, but we haven't yet seen anything that compares to, uh, to the effect of a nuclear bomb carried out Unless it's part of a conflict where this is just one of the arms, in which case missiles kill, cyber can kill, and, and guns can kill. Got it. But I don't believe we should be responding to that sort of FUD. Curry mentioned FUD several times, F-U-D. If you're not familiar with that acronym, it's short for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Although botnets are not generally perceived by the public to be true cyber threats, Cyber Reasons' Sam Curry says that attitude needs to change in the coming year. I don't think most of us think of them as cyber threats. They are, though. We all thought that the connected world would, would bring us together, um, that we would be in one big world of ideas being exchanged. But noise-to-signal ratio is hard to deal with. Confirmation bias says we tend to like the things we like and ignore the things we don't, and it's readily serving up more of the same. We have seen the effects of social botnets and uh, extremely effective. We did a, a hacking simulation in 2018 at Cyber Reason where we had to hack an election without actually hacking the devices or the voter rolls. And in the tabletop, we really came down to using social media botnets and swaying opinion in order to erode confidence. That was our goal in the election. I believe it's absolutely a cyber threat. It's also one of those things in the public domain that it's hard to say who's responsible for it and how do we deal with it. And I think in 2019, we got to work that out. And I think in the public opinion, it's not yet thought of as cyber. I think it's still thought of as more of a social problem. And maybe it's both. But in my opinion, it is. And I think we need to evangelize that and champion. Not surprisingly, the biggest targets will continue to be critical infrastructure but those attacks might be staged primarily as diversionary tactics. Although we saw several large, splashy ransomware attacks in 2018, Curry says the technology might be used more frequently to cover a criminal's tracks. After breaking in and stealing data, a clever crook could leave behind bits of an obvious ransomware attack. The security team will find it, remove it, and re-image all of the company's computers, thinking they have thwarted an attack. In fact, the cleanup effort would also remove any evidence of the real crime. I described ransomware as a retrograde tend. And what I mean by that is most of the constellation of security threats is moving in the same direction. It's moving to more subtlety, more persistence, more pervasive, less overt. It's not about usually smash and grab or blowing things up. Uh, and so we saw in 2017, really, if you go back even over a year, a year of ransomware, big, splashy, painful ransomware. But that was almost going against the trend in the industry. What we've seen this year is it's in fact, it's turned from being this a means of getting big funding or, or getting big attention. And it's instead taking advantage of things like IT reflexes. 
So uh, it is now, for instance, if you do a, if you execute a kill chain or at cyber reason, we call them malicious operations or malops. If you're, if you're an attacker and you're doing that at the end, you can get an awful lot of advantage once you've done your action on intent by dropping some ransomware and getting the IT department to go found ransomware, re-image the system and clean up all your trace evidence. I expect to see in 2019 incremental improvement. And this is a theme, especially for the financially motivated, where if you've built the infrastructure, you're not going to build things from scratch. You're going to take what you've got, retarget new verticals and add some innovations. It's incremental improvements. And so I expect to see new ransomware using slight uh, new innovations in the technology. I think there'll be outliers. We might see a big, splashy, and very painful ransomware attack or two, but again, going against the broader trend. Computers and the internet are great levelers. There are people who have money, mostly in developed nations, and there are people who need money, generally in third world and undeveloped countries. Those who simply need money to provide food and shelter for their families but live where no jobs exist are finding that cybercrime pays very well. Additionally, traditional crooks have discovered that crimes such as spear phishing gives them access to money or valuable information with very little risk of being captured. Until now, spear phishing has been limited to large companies and individuals with high incomes, but Curry says that well-written spear phishing messages with legitimate personal information about the recipient will be used across the entire financial spectrum soon. And I think we're also going to see phishing evolve. If you follow the logic that people have developed very sophisticated ways of doing spear phishing and whaling and being able to execute these attacks, it is trivial to go from going after a small group of fish to going after everyone. And we will start to see this vested mechanism uh, going after the masses. I think we're going to have end users who are getting top-level quality phishing attacks and specificity about them going after the rank and file of companies and all of us. So let's watch out for those new variants of what's most successful. It could open up a whole new realm of risks. Curry says there will be more attacks that use the Internet of Things, attacks that infiltrate through printers, firmware, and routers, and an increase in attacks either from or aimed at political hotspots. My gut says probably Brexit. On one side of the English Channel, you've got a first world nation with first rate offensive and defensive capabilities. And there are tough negotiations going on in the, in, with what's on the other side, which is three or four first world nations with first rate cyber capabilities. So I would be looking there. Um, hopefully it all goes well and we get you know um, a positive Brexit rather than a negative one. Uh, but that's one hot spot. Another is uh, uh, trade wars with China. We saw that in 2018, a change in cyber posture of China with respect to the, the rest of the world. Uh, also looking at Latin America in the Andes, there is a small cold war from a cyber perspective. And we're seeing the emergence of cyber powers in Africa, as I mentioned. So look to the geopolitical hotspots and that's where they'll be. So it looks like we should expect even more of what we've already been seeing, along with expanding attacks on connected devices, the further militarization of cyberspace, more political action intended to reduce confidence in the electoral process, and a flood of spear phishing attacks for everyone. Well, happy 2019!
Microsoft has resumed the process of rolling out Windows 10 version 18.09, also known as the October update, and also known as the update that deleted files and folders. If it's not yet on your computer, version 18.09 might be there before the end of the year. Or maybe not. It's not on my primary computer currently. That's the computer I'm using to record this podcast, but I plan to install it during the week between Christmas and New Year. Installing the 1809 update on another computer ran to a successful conclusion with no problems. Microsoft had been talking about artificial intelligence and its machine learning system that examines drivers and antivirus applications before pushing those feature updates to PCs. That would make the process faster and less painful, they said. Well, missed it, as Maxwell Smart used to say on the old TV show, by that much. If you want to download and install the 1809 update, you'll find it on the Windows 10 download page. I have a link to it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Or you can just wait. If you choose to wait, you might have a relatively long wait time because of the way Microsoft phases feature update rollouts. Critical updates are pushed out quickly. But those larger feature updates tend to be spaced out over several months. The October 2018 update was supposed to improve operations for home and business users. There's a cloud-based clipboard that allows users to access a history of copied and clipped content across different devices. Clever. Improvements to Storage Sense provide new options for automatically removing old and junk files from hard drives. For businesses, the IT department will appreciate a simpler interface for managing security and a variety of other additions and updates that won't make a lot of difference to individual users. Many users have told Microsoft that a slower and more accurate update process is essential to avoid release of unstable updates, like the one in October. And Microsoft now gives those in the Windows Insider Fast Ring program a way to call the company's attention to the most severe bugs. After all, no application or operating system is ever bug-free. Just doesn't happen. But it is essential for developers to eliminate severe bugs, showstoppers, like the ones that delete or damage files. And they need to do that before they release the software the first time. This week, the Microsoft Power User website suggests never clicking the Check for Update selection on the control panel. The article cites a statement by Microsoft Vice President Michael Fortin that explains selecting that option is interpreted, and correctly, I think, that the user is seeking any available update. Microsoft actually has several updates each month. There's the B release, set out in the second week of the month. That's the one that's pushed out to everybody but there are also C and D releases in the third and fourth weeks. They're available for testing of the following month's B release. C and D releases are validated production quality releases that are simply optional. The Power User website seems to suggest that selecting that option just once will move the user into the Windows Insider program. That is not the case.
Adobe has released a report called Seeing 2019, the visual trend forecast from Adobe stock. And although its aim is primarily visual communication, it does offer some insight into the overarching trends that we'll see next year in communications. As I read the report, I kept thinking of the mid-1980s. That's when Aldous released PageMaker for the Mac. That was 1985. A year later, PageMaker was released for IBM computers. Ventura Publisher was released for IBM computers in 1986. It used the GEM operating environment. Eventually, it was released for Mac systems before OS X came along, but it fell flat. Those two applications, and many that followed, were responsible for what became known as ransom note publishing. People with no understanding of design started creating their own publications, and their motto seemed to be, well, this computer has 145 typefaces, so I should use every single one of them in every single document. Well, after a few years, the ransom note publishers either learned enough about design or were sufficiently embarrassed to stop. There's still no shortage of bad design, but many non-designers who must design publications have now reached the stage at which they are able to create publications that are at least not ugly. And thank you very much, Rick Altman, for describing the not-ugly trend that was beginning in the 1990s. Not only typesetting has come to desktop computers, but also video and audio creation and editing, photographic processing, website design, audio processing, and even user experience design. Various companies have applications that operate in one or more of those areas, but Adobe has applications for all of them. And with the exception of audio editing, illustrations are essential to each. That puts Adobe in a very good position to analyze trends. The report notes the massive change in how communications occur. We're no longer waiting for creatives to shape our visual worlds. Instead, people are using technology to elevate and share their own unpublished, raw, authentic moments in full vivid color. Each day, 95 million photographs are uploaded to Instagram, and people watch 100 million hours of video content on Facebook. Gen Z and millennials are leading the change, but all ages are in on it, powered by mobile-first platforms that allow on-the-go content and live stream creation on social media. The days are long gone when businesses and organizations used only high-quality, properly composed, accurately exposed images from professional photographers. Those high-quality images are still needed, of course, and there are still lots of professional photographers around, but they're being joined by images provided by companies' customers. American Eagle launched a campaign that encourages women to post unretouched photographs of themselves to celebrate body positivity, and furniture companies such as West Elm and Wayfair invite users to post photos of their new products so consumers can see how the products look in real homes. Individuals, for better or worse, create and post political memes, some of which are accurate and others that are even less accurate than those produced by Russian hackers. I'm hopeful that most of us will eventually learn to identify untruthful images by asking intelligent questions about them and researching the claims. If that happens, the invalid claims will fade, just as the ransom note publishing faded in the 1990s and early 2000s. Adobe's visual trend forecast notes that even when there's no political agenda, 
the new self-expression is all about inclusive, unapologetic, eye-catching visuals that cut through the noise. The images can be haunting and hypnotizing, the report says, citing images from luxury fashion house Belagancia's bendable models to shiny and playful photos like Instagram posts from the Kira Kira app. The report predicts that 2019 will be a year in which our visual landscape will reflect far more than fleeting fads, likes, and shares. We'll be surrounded by images that capture passionate, beautiful, ageless, contentious, messy, cultural conversations about values, how we express our individuality and experiences, and how we find refuge in tumultuous times. Well, we can hope. The full report is available on the Adobe website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. And by the way, this is the final program or podcast or blog for 2018. The final week of the year is the time when I relax with the family, have a beer or two, and amuse the cat. Also, during the coming week, I'll be doing a bit of site remodeling. Spare Parts, for example, has been in a column on the right side of the page for several years, and I've heard from a lot of people who really just don't care for that positioning. If you're one of those, you'll be happy to find it in a new location when you return next year, and it will still only be on the website, not included in the podcast. I'll tell you more about the changes on January 6th, the first program of 2019. So for now, I'll say only that the new site should work better on mobile devices, and it will be more secure. Now, and speaking of security, in spare parts this week, only on the website, this year's Darwin Awards, as they relate to passwords, have been released. The White House is no longer the top winner, but a visitor to the Oval Office did take the number one slot. And renting a car in China is difficult. Foreigners also need to hire a driver, and National Car Rental sees an opportunity there. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.